Amen. Won't you stand as we join in worship together? The same love that set the stars in place and did all of that loves us. Amen. We can say how great is our God, how great he is. Let's sing this together. Cold enough for everybody? Try being bald headed. A little bit colder. <laughs> I'd like to uh, welcome everyone who braved the cold to join us this morning in worship, and especially if you're visiting with us this morning, we're thankful that you're here. Um, we would ask that you take a care card that's in the pew back in front of you. And there's some information that uh, we would like to have so that we could get back in touch with you to say thank you 
for being with us in worship today. So if you would take a moment to do that, that would be wonderful. And then on the opposite side of the care card is a place for anyone to to write a prayer request. Uh, And those all go to our staff so that we know how uh, to pray for you. And then once you've done filling that out, you can place them in the giving boxes that are located on um, the back wall as you exit the foyer of the sanctuary. But we are certainly glad that you have come to worship with us this morning. As I'm doing announcements, as always, the QR code there, uh, you can scan and uh, that will take you to a place to where everything that I'm saying this morning is going to be on that download from that QR code. So hopefully and prayerfully you are taking advantage of that. And then uh, another great way to keep up with what's going on here at the church, make sure that you get that Friday uh, email blast and so that you can know what's going on here at Pitts Baptist Church. Uh, But a few announcements I want to make vocal to you this morning. Number one, many of you attended last week's uh, missions opportunity meeting uh, and you learned about all the trips that we'll be taking in 2024. And this is just a reminder, if you wish to participate uh, on one of those trips, your application for all those trips is due January the 28th. Uh, if you'd like more information about these trips, please visit uh, the information desk. Sewing hands, your, uh, your ministry will meet uh, this Saturday, January 27th, 9.30 to 1 in the activity room. Your project this time is going to be making uh, Valentine pillowcases for the children's home. If you have any questions regarding this ministry, please see Carla Setzer or Pat Connor. Senior adults, you have a special day coming up, a day trip on January 29th to Crescent Heights. Uh, The bus will leave the church at 10 and return at 2. So please visit the information desk also to sign up for that. Tonight's a very important night as we will have our initial committee meetings at 5 o'clock. Greeters, you'll be in uh, E14. The decorating committee will be in the cafe. The safety committee will be in the activity room. The recreation committee will be in E12. But note that your start time is 5.30 instead of 5. The personnel committee will be in the conference room. And the fellowship committee will be in the kitchen. Maybe they'll cook us up some supper. Who knows? Thank you in advance, committees and all who serve, uh, for the work that you will put in uh, for 2024 and to make uh, this year at Pitts a a great year. We do have a local missions project coming up on February the 10th from 9 to 12. Uh, We will be serving foster children and their parents. Uh, If you want to know more about this ministry, missions opportunity, and to be a part of that, please see Leslie Cook. Uh, Ladies who are participating in this year's Bible recap, don't forget about your meeting this Thursday at 10 o'clock or at 6.30 in the Small Fellowship Hall. Uh, At this meeting, you'll discuss days 11 through 24 in your reading plan. If you have any questions about this ministry, please see Ms. Connie. Uh, Our Men's Basketball League is right around the corner. Um, Matter of fact, signups are going on now, uh, and we will have a draft on January the 28th. This is for uh, males 16 and up. We would love to have you participate. Play will begin on February the 5th. Now, if you're not into playing, there are many other ways that you can be involved in this outreach ministry. Other than playing, you can help officiate, which is a big need that we have. And uh, you can also serve as a mentor, something that we're doing different this year. 
um, we would love to have a mentor for each team. And that mentor simply encourages their team and then will share devotion with them at the end of their game. So many ways that you can be involved. Please see me if uh, the Lord is leading you to that end. Um, next Sunday, January the 28th, is Baptist Men's Day, and it's the 90th anniversary of Baptist Men's Day. And so our goal is to have 90 men in the choir loft singing. That would be amazing. That would be incredible. Uh, we're not going to sing anything hard. It'll be easy. We're going to meet together at 10 o'clock that morning uh, before the worship service to go over the song. Uh, so, And after we sing, you can go back down to your seat. Uh, but I don't know if we can fit 90 up there. We may have to stand in the baptistry, but hey, <laughs> we'll be all right. Y'all come for that. That's going to be uh, that's going to be a great Sunday to worship the Lord together. TBR retreats coming up in March for the family retreat. Cost is 195 for family and 45 uh, for every individual after that. A $50 deposit, though, is due February the 18th. Uh, see Amanda Christian if you have any more uh, questions about that. Our Lottie Moon offering is uh, over uh, $75,000. Um, and our goal, though, is 85. The good news is uh, we'll be collecting this offering the end uh, through the end of this month. So uh, if you haven't given to that and feel led to give to that, please do so. And as always, we thank you uh, for your, your generosity. This week uh, in our Master Life study, we have been learning that we are made in the image of God. And that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto him. As a matter of fact, our memory verse is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so we're going to say it together, starting with the reference and then ending with the reference. Okay, we ready? Let's read Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, Romans 12.1. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in your plan, you made us in your image. You formed us and fashioned us in our mother's wombs. You know, every strand of DNA, every molecule, every cell in our body. And God, you desire that our makeup would worship you. God, as our memory verse uh, tells us this morning, that we should present our body as a living sacrifice. Lord, we know that Jesus gave his life as a living sacrifice. When he took the cross upon his shoulders... And he hung suspended between heaven and earth that he might forgive us of our sin through the power of his blood sacrifice. Lord, we know that your word tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus shed his blood once and for all to save us. He gave his body for us. And we thank you and praise you. And as a result, Father, we desire to give our bodies to you. God, I pray that our minds would think about you. I pray, Father, that 
our eyes would gaze upon your beauty. And Father, that we would put a gate over our eyes that you, Lord, would strengthen us to not to look at things that would detract from presenting our body as a living sacrifice. God, I pray that we would worship you with our ears, that we would hear the word of God and that it would fall upon our hearts, that it would mold us and make us into the image of your son, Jesus. God, I thank you that you have given us instruction that we should confess the Lord Jesus with our mouth and believe in our heart that you've raised him from the dead. But Lord, you've given us instruction to use our mouth to encourage one another, not to discourage one another, but to, to share the gospel, to share the love of the Lord Jesus. Help us, Father, to do that with our mouths. And with our hands and with our feet, Lord, I pray that we would use them as instruments of righteousness, God, to point others to the saving knowledge, to the love of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for it. God, be honored in what we do here this morning. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here that does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they see their need for Jesus and that they would call out to him for their salvation. And for believers here this morning, God, I pray that we would be strengthened and encouraged by being here to walk more closely with you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Would you stand with me as we offer our worship and song to him, as we sing these classic hymns and draw closer to Christ. Let's sing this one.
Find Romans 6 in your copy of the scripture, Romans chapter 6, looking this morning at the subject matter, the life of holiness, offering yourself to God, a message that will go along with week 7 in our book this week of, of offering, offering your body to God as a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 6. In just a moment, we'll read the entire chapter uh, together. I'll have you stand for the reading of God's Word in a moment, but before I do that, let me ask you to be in prayer for a couple of men in our congregation, both of whom lost their mothers yesterday. Uh, Bill Gardner's uh, mother passed away yesterday. Her service will be at some future point. Uh, they don't have a, a date yet, it's my understanding, a memorial service sometime later. And then uh, Van Shaw, uh, Van's mom, uh, passed away yesterday at the Tucker uh, Hospice House, and he did have the opportunity to be there with her as she passed. Her service will be uh, midweek, uh, sometime midweek. They're anticipating in the eastern part of the state. So remember uh, both of these men, uh, if you would please. Uh, again, find Romans chapter 6, and as you do so, uh, before I read it, I, I just want to remind you that we think of salvation in three different aspects, justification, sanctification, and glorification. 
Justification, I have been saved. Sanctification, I am being saved. And glorification, I will be saved. Justification, of course, speaking of when you were saved. Sanctification, your life now growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And then glorification, one day when you see Jesus. Folks, chapter 6 of the book of Romans is going to mainly focus in upon sanctification. Living a life of holiness. Submitting our bodies to Christ that we might be conformed more and more each day to the image of Christ. So find Romans chapter 6 and stand with me for the reading of God's word please. Romans chapter 6, again we'll read the chapter in its entirety. Paul asks a question there. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness." For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. This is your word, holy, inspired, inerrant. Lord, may your spirit speak to us and may you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Lord, give us the strength, give us the ability to live for Jesus every day, to present ourselves to him, to present the members of our body as instruments of righteousness that you might use us. Lord, mold us. And shape us and use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Folks, we know that in the first five chapters of the book of Romans, what Paul has been doing is setting forth the heart of the gospel. And he's been making the point that every single human being is a sinner and has fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, it does not matter what your nationality is. It does not matter what your race is. You are a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. We are all guilty. And then Paul also went on to point out how every human being is therefore under the penalty of sin, which is death, physical death as well as spiritual death. And then he's pointed out that to die with Christ, to die without Christ means that you would be eternally separated from God. But then he went on to show us the promise of God, the good news of the gospel, that God and God alone in Christ has provided the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. He's given his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ is the only sacrifice for sin, and if we ignore him... This leaves us in a state of sin. God has provided the way of salvation through Christ. And what did Christ do? He died for our sin. He was buried. He was raised from the dead to give us eternal life. And now we have new life and hope in and through him. But now comes the question. Having been saved from the penalty of sin, how can we be set free from the power of sin? 
we know that we will not be set free from the presence of sin until we see Jesus one day. But for now, how do we move beyond the power of sin in our daily life? How do we live for Jesus in our bodies? And that's what Paul is addressing here in Romans chapter 6. Now there's a context here. Just as today, anytime we teach something, there's generally a context to what we're saying. And we know that oftentimes the biblical writers would be addressing something that the context of their teaching, there would be a heresy, there would be a problem, there would be something going on that would force this teaching. Some type of distortion of the gospel. And again, we're faced with that today. I think of several uh, distortions of the gospel today. There's, there's moralism, for example. You know, the, the saying, what would Jesus do? All we need to do is follow the example of Jesus. Let's just follow his example. And that's certainly true, don't get me wrong. We do need to do what Jesus would do and follow his example. But that and that alone doesn't go far enough. Because you see, we also need to talk about having our sin taken away before we can truly follow Christ's example. And so moralism in and of itself, just talking about the example of Jesus, that he was a, a good teacher, a good moral person, that in and of itself is not enough. Then there's also legalism. You know, legalism says if I obey this checklist here, these laws, this set of codes, I'll be right with God. And we know that's not true at all. Laws, codes, checklists can never be the basis of salvation. We're only delivered, we're only saved in and through Christ himself. And then there's also the distortion of the gospel, cheap grace. Cheap grace says, hey, hey, now that I'm saved by grace, now that I'm free from sin, uh, from sin's penalty that is, I can live any old way I want to live. Now that I'm saved, I can go out in the world and just sin to my heart's delight because, hey, I'm forgiven. Cheap grace. Now, folks, that seems to be the distortion of the gospel that Paul is addressing here in Romans chapter 6. And you have to go back to the end of chapter 5 to see this. Because at the end of chapter 5, verse 20, Paul points out that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that is certainly true on the front end of salvation, the entry point when somebody is saved. You know, it is nice to know that there is no one so deep in sin that Christ can't save them. Amen? 
You know, occasionally you will hear somebody say, if you only knew what I've done in my life, if you only knew what I've been guilty of, you would, you would agree with me that maybe I can't be forgiven. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I certainly have. Somebody will tell you that. I don't know that, that I can be forgiven. I have sinned so deeply, I don't even think God will forgive me. And that's a lie. No matter how deep the ocean of your sin is, the ocean of God's grace is deeper. And you know, I've noticed something. Oftentimes, those who have been the most guilty of sin in their lives, oftentimes they are the most thankful when they end up getting saved. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I've noticed that. Jesus even told a story about that. About two people, one who had been forgiven a little, another who had been forgiven much. Who will be the most grateful? Of course, the one who's been forgiven much. Again, you cannot out the grace of God. God can save you. But tragically, it seems that throughout church history, there are some who have come to the wrong conclusion that we need to continue in a life of sin even after salvation so that we can continue to experience more of the grace of God. I think of the Russian monk Rasputin, for example. He said, since those who sin the most require the most forgiveness, a sinner who recklessly continues to jump into sin will enjoy more of God's forgiving grace. And consequently, he taught that reckless sinful living was even necessary in our lives if we wanted to experience God's grace. Again, that's false. And again, there are, there are some who believe even after salvation's starting point, you need, to, you need to live like Rasputin said, continue to live in sin, experience more grace. And notice what Paul says to that here at the beginning of Romans chapter 6. He says, God forbid, or may it never be, or in the uh, ESV, by no means. Are we to keep sinning? Are we to live in sin? Are we to leap into sin and love it? That we can experience more of God's forgiving grace by no means. That's what he's telling them. We need to understand something here. He's writing in Romans 6 emphasizing the fact that you and I as Christians are under new management. But it's not just that we're under new management. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We cannot continue to uh, live in sin the way we once did. We can't truly do that to dwell in sin, to to leap into it and love it, to, to enjoy it, to dwell there. That's not even a Christian attitude. Becoming a Christian means that you've made a new start. It's more than turning over a new leaf. You've been made new. You've been born from above by the Spirit of God. And as we'll see in a moment, this ties in in a fundamental way with our bodies that we studied this week. 
And he shows us the point that Christians have died to the penalty of sin. Jesus took the penalty of sin on the cross and he died. We've been liberated. And so to be joined to Christ means that God sees you and me as joined to Christ's death so that now we are to certainly die to sin's lordship in our lives. On a, we're to die to sin's lordship on a daily basis. Why? Because we have a new Lord. We have a new master, Jesus. It's like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so just as Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and salvation... So also, he will now give us the power to live a victorious Christian life. Well, let's see first of all this morning our death to sin. Our death to sin. Read with me again in verse 1 and following. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. He begins here by talking about our death to sin. And he begins his discussion by pointing us to the historical facts of Christ's earthly experience. And what is it about Christ's earthly experience that he wants us to zero in on? He wants us to zero in on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to point out that the believer is likewise united with Christ through a particular event. And what is that event? It's baptism. Let's talk about baptism a moment. How does baptism fit in here? How is baptism a description of death to sin and life to Christ? Now, strange as this analogy may seem to us, it, it wouldn't have seemed strange to first century ears. Not even to Jews. Jews, believe it or not, in Judaism, they had baptism like Christian baptism. Now, it, it had a different meaning. It was more of a ceremonial cleansing. But when a Gentile converted to Judaism and went through baptism... Some of the rabbis taught that when that Gentile came up out of the water, even if that Gentile had children, if he went on to have a son after his Jewish baptism, that son would be spoken of as his firstborn. Some of the rabbis went so far as to say the person 
could even now marry a sister or a cousin because uh, all former relationships were dissolved and the, and the person was new. And so there was no such thing as incest. Now, obviously, those are not correct positions. But I'm just trying to show you that even among the Jews, they had an understanding that upon one's baptism, you were viewed in a new light. Now, in the early Christian church, your baptism was your confession of faith. Through believer's baptism, you were proclaiming, you were giving your testimony. And what is it that we communicate? Well, in baptism, we proclaim a death, a burial, and a resurrection. We're confessing uh, through an action that we are trusting in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to save us. And we're saying that we are also united with Christ. We are united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why the New Testament asks believers to be baptized. It's not the act of water baptism that saves, but, but it is an integral part of our confession. We are confessing the spiritual realities of what baptism illustrates. Baptism communicates to the body of Christ spiritual realities. And again, what are those realities? Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and our union with Him. Now this passage makes it clear that's how God views baptism. God sees our baptism as a union with Christ. Again, with His death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is the ordinance that we celebrate at the beginning of our Christian life. The Lord's Supper is the continuing ordinance of the church that communicates the same thing. And so there is one baptism, but then in the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, as often as you do this. Both ordinances communicate the same thing. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and that it is through his shed blood that the believer is saved. Now stay with me here. God through the Apostle Paul also communicates it's an unbroken chain. That we are united with his death, burial, and resurrection. He says in verse 8, if we have died with him, we shall also what? Live with him. Folks, there's assurance here. One is not going to happen without the other. If you are joined to the death of Christ through salvation, you will certainly be joined to his life through resurrection. And that ought to be enough to make a Baptist shout. That's blessed assurance. Now let me go over the big picture of what's going on here. He's making it clear that a heavenly transaction has occurred in our salvation. And again, baptism is the analogy that he gives. Baptism testifies outwardly as to what God has done inwardly in somebody's life. 
when Christ died for our sin and we identify with him, the old man, the old self dies also. The old pre-converted self with sin as its master is gone. You're not the same person anymore. I mean, you are the same person, but you're not. You understand what I'm saying? You're different. You're converted. You're born again. You have new life. And that means since we are new in Christ, we are no longer bound as slaves to the old master that dominated the old nature. You have been liberated from the old master of sin. So spiritually speaking, in and through Christ, he has given you your emancipation proclamation papers. He has set you free from the old master of sin and death. And the resurrected Christ has now come to reside in you. You've got a new nature in Christ and he is your new master. And he's the one who defeated once for all the old master of the old nature. And he's with us now. And that's why Paul is saying it is so foreign for a believer to want to live under the dominion of the old master of sin. You've not been emancipated, freed, so you can go knocking on the door of the old master of sin and death and saying, I want you to stay with me. I want to be under your bondage again. That would be irrational to even think that way. And that's why John in 1 John says that God is light. And if you say that you know him and yet you continue to dwell in sin under the mastery of sin, you're a liar. You're not even saved and you're not practicing the truth. Because again, to be a Christian means that you have been set free. And that's what Paul is communicating here. Christ has set you free free you're not under the old master of sin and Satan and death you've been set free now what is to go alongside of our new reality if this is our new position our new reality what's the practice that is to go along with that secondly he talks about what we need to consider look at verse 11 he says so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus now look at that word consider it it's a mathematical term in the Greek text that you need to analyze something carefully you need to add it up you need to calculate it you need to reckon it very seriously you need to take this into account and what it is we need to take into account is that sin is no longer our master Christ is sin is still present but it's not your master Paul is not preaching a sinless perfection here. So don't misunderstand it and think that's what he's saying. He's not saying that, we, that, we'll just, that we'll no longer even commit any sin as a believer. 
What he's saying is you have a new master. You will be free from sin one day, but for now you have a new master. If you've been identified with Christ, you must not constantly yield yourself to the tyrant that Christ defeated. Sin was a tyrant in your old life. There was a bondage there. You were a prisoner to sin. However, now Christ has given you a new standing. And with that new standing before God comes a new power, namely His power. If He gave you conversion to begin with, He will give you the power to live the Christian life. And so Paul is saying in verse 11, you need to understand this. In other words, there is a new kind of thinking now that you and I are to have as Christians. But he's not done yet. With this new thinking, there's to be new actions. And so thirdly, he says what we need, he goes over what we need to present. He says, beginning in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and, that your, and, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul is telling us what we must do and what we must not do. First, he says what we must not do is allow sin to reign in our bodies. And that tells us something. If ongoing sin is in your Christian walk and there are habits and sins that you know are not pleasing to God, what do you need to do? You need to repent of those. You are to live for your new master now. And remember, he's in you. You're not alone. God has given you the power to live in victory. Don't think of it in terms of saying, I can't. Think in terms of saying, I can with him living his life through me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so what are you and I to do? He says we are to present ourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. That's what you are as a Christian. You're somebody who is alive from the dead. You're not that old man or that old woman that you used to be. You're alive from the dead. You're in Christ. And so now it's your responsibility and my responsibility to present the members of our body to Him as instruments of, of righteousness. Again, we need to understand that we've got a new master. We're under new management. And so the old ways can't continue if you belong to a new master. We cannot walk with a carefree attitude to sin because we've been joined to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Again, 
doesn't mean that we're going to obtain sinless perfection. But it does mean that we're no longer subject to the tyranny of the old master. We don't have to live under the tyranny of sin like we did before we were saved. Because we have a new master and he defeated sin once for all. An example of Romans 6 playing out in life would be if somebody here this morning stood up and gave testimony about some sinful habit that they had in their life. And and then they got saved and they went on to share how after they got saved, God began taking that sinful habit away from them. For some it might happen overnight, for some it might be a slower process, but nonetheless It happens because Christ gives you the strength to overcome it. And again, that's what Paul is talking about here. Having given us salvation as a free gift, God will certainly give us the ability to live the Christian life. God is not going to call us to live the Christian life and then leave us on our own. Jesus promised his disciples that he would be with us forever through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And so what does this call for on our part? It calls for a yielded life. A submissive life. Because again, the first 11 chapters of Romans 6 are describing what God has done for us in Christ and the new position we have. And so the next part of Romans 6 talks about what you and I are to do in response to what God has done for us. Now, let's finish out the chapter. Look at verse 14. 14 could lead to another misunderstanding. He says, Therefore sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under Grace. Somebody could say, aha, if I'm not under law but under grace, that must mean there's no restrictions on my life. I can do whatever I want to do. And again, it would be questionable whether such a person has even submitted to the lordship of Christ in the first place, if that's their attitude. But besides that, Paul shows how that's faulty thinking. Look at verse 16. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? He's pointing out here, you can't be neutral in your life. You know, man today thinks he's free. Lost man thinks he's free, he's he's his own person, he thinks to become a Christian he's going to have to lose his freedom. But he needs to understand he's not free. He's under the tyranny of sin. But there's even a sense in which saved men are not free. We are not free. Yes, Christ has set us free, but we are not free to go out and live however we want to live. Because we are now under the lordship of Christ. You you were not free in your old life. You were under the mastery of sin resulting in death. You are not free in your new life. You are under the lordship of Jesus Christ resulting in life. You see, you're not free. You've just changed masters. You understand what he's saying? 
You're not free. You've just changed masters. We're all slaves. The question is, are we going to be slaves to sin, resulting in bondage and finally death? Or are we going to be slaves to Jesus Christ, resulting in freedom and eternal life? Which is it going to be? Well, for the Christian, you're going to be a slave to Jesus Christ. In verses 17 and 18, he points out that it is altogether improper for them to be enslaved to sin. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. They're slaves to righteousness now. And in verse 9, he says, I'm 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's making the point that they understand the slavery language because slavery was so much a part of their culture. And so he states he's speaking in terms that they can be able to understand. We're to remain as slaves, so to speak, but we are now slaves in a good way to a new master to whom we submit. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What I want you to understand again is you're under new management. You're a new creation in Christ. You have a new master. You are not to submit your bodies to the old master of sin and death. You have a new master. And what is it he says in in verse 19 happens? So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. What does that mean? It means growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Becoming more and more like Jesus. And folks, that is a lifelong thing. Just like you didn't grow up fully when you were just a day old. You you grew for a lifetime physically. So we are to grow spiritually over the course of our lives. Sanctification. And that's what God desires to do in our lives. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus. And if that's going to happen, what must you and I do? We must submit ourselves. We must yield ourselves to Him and His mastery over us. His lordship over us. Why in the world would you want to go back to the old life? Look at verse 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Why would you want to go back to that? What you want, look at verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Those are some of the sweetest words in the Bible. 
Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. To be unchanged, to be unredeemed, and to live for the old master, you get what you deserve. Sin produces a paycheck, and that paycheck is death. That's what you earned. That's what you deserve. But to live for the new master... You receive a special gift that you do not deserve. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's saying here we can either live our lives to get a paycheck that we've earned. Or we can live our lives to get a free undeserved gift that we didn't earn. It's that simple. Well, folks, let's not end there, though. Let's bring in some applications to what all we studied this week in our book. So if I'm, if I'm not offering myself to the old master because I'm joined to the death of Christ, the burial and resurrection of Christ, then, and, and I'm yielding the members of my body to my new master, Jesus, he's my Lord, what's that going to mean for your sexuality. The first thing. What does Romans 6 mean for your sexuality? Some of the chapter this week talked about that. Well as it pointed out in our book. God made us male and female. He designed man and woman for one another. That in marriage and only in marriage. There is to be sexual intimacy. As Paul said to the Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are to glorify God in your, by, uh, in, your, in your body. And that means immorality is wrong. Premarital sex is wrong. Adultery after marriage is wrong. Same-sex relationships are wrong. All of those are wrong and sinful and they're not part of God's design. God's design is male and female. In a committed relationship of marriage together. And sexual intimacy within that relationship. That glorifies God. If you're not married and you desire to be. And you know God hasn't gifted you to be single and celibate for life. Ask God to send you a mate. Somebody that will be equally yoked to you. Ask him to send you a a believer. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And I would say to young people, Christian young people, fish in the right pond. Some of these ponds young people fish in for a mate, all you're probably going to end up getting is bottom feeders. And you know what bottom feeders will do? They'll end up giving you a bad taste in your mouth eventually. Look for a mate in church or in Christian singles groups. Now, that's not necessarily a, a foolproof guarantee in and of itself, but at least you'll be fishing in the right pond to start with. But ask God to send you a Christian mate. Ask God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Don't lean on your own understanding." But trust God. 
Ask God for a Christian mate. Trust Him. Wait on Him to send you who He has for you. Do it God's way and not your way that you might end up spending a lifetime of regret over. Another application. What are you constantly putting into your body and how are you treating it? If your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, how are you treating your temple? Now, folks, we know that we aren't to be fanatical. I mean, Paul, after all, said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so we don't want to be fanatics in making everything in life about going to the gym and drinking carrot juice. But at the same time, if you're not taking care of your body, you're going to limit yourself on how and when you can serve the Lord. You're going to limit yourself. You might not have the health to go on a mission trip. You might feel led to go somewhere, but your body is so wrecked with misuse over the years, you don't even have the strength and endurance to do something like that. Folks, Christians need to take care of their bodies. And so if God calls you to go somewhere in the spirit of Isaiah, you can say, here am I, Lord, send me. You'll be ready to go. Take care of your body. A third application, rest. The Bible says after God created the heavens and the earth over six days, he rested. Now, God didn't rest because he needed to rest. Because the scripture says he neither slumbers nor sleeps. Why did God rest? He rested to give us a pattern to follow. Are you driving yourself endlessly? You need to rest properly each day. And you need a day of rest in the week. To rest and worship and recharge your batteries and get ready for a new week. There's to be that balance to life. Fourthly, your work. God created Adam and Eve to work. They were to tend the garden. Folks, work only became a burden after the fall. God said in Genesis 3 that Adam's work would now be by the sweat of his brow. It would be hard at times. But God's plan was still for the man and woman to work. God created you to be productive. The Bible says we are to work as unto the Lord. Are you being a faithful steward in this? Those are just some applications about how we can yield the members of our body to, to righteousness. Living for Him in certain areas of our life. Now quickly, some lessons to wrap up. Number one, it is an unbiblical thing to make the mercy and grace of God an excuse for sinning. It is an unbiblical thing to make the mercy and grace of God an excuse for sinning. Everything about our bodies is to be offered and yielded to God. Secondly, the man who enters the Christian walk is committing himself to a new way of life. Folks, that's part of the gospel too. We are to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Thirdly, there's more than a new leaf turned over when one becomes a believer. There's a wonderful union with a person, Jesus Christ. We're to live in His power. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody here today, a Christian. You know you're a Christian. There's, you, you know you're saved. But you have not yielded on a consistent basis your members, the members of your body, to be instruments of righteousness in His hand. There's been far too many days and weeks and months and years that you have lived for yourself. And you've lived for the things of the world. I hope the message this morning would make you realize That Christ is to be your master. He's to be your Lord because that's what he is. And that means every day, every part of us is to be yielded to him. You know what it was like when you were under the mastery, the lordship of sin and Satan. You're not that person anymore. You're a new man, a new woman in Christ. You're to submit yourself to a new master. And maybe there are some here this morning in the invitation time and this week you need to say, Lord, give me strength to be doing that in every single area of my life. There's some things that I need to be submitting to you that I've not been. God, forgive me. There's some sins that have hold of me in certain areas of my life. God, give me power and victory over those. Lord, live your life through me and help me to live for you and be submissive to you. There may be somebody here this morning who'd say, Pastor, you'd be honest enough to say, Pastor, I'm still the old man, the old woman. I've never even been made new in Christ. And I'm not sure what all that means. And I'd love to talk to somebody about that. Myself, any of our pastoral staff members would love to talk to you about what it means to become a Christian. A new creation in Christ. Come talk to us about that. Come forward in the invitation. We'll pray with you about that. Let's stand together please. Lord... We thank you for the gift of salvation. The gift of eternal life. It is undeserved. It's not earned. Thank you that with Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're not alone. God, help us to understand, though, what his lordship involves. It's a life of submission. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We're to glorify God in our bodies. We're to be holy just as you are holy. We're to live by your standards. Not our own standards or the standards of the world. Lord, help us to understand these things. Being a Christian involves living a life of change. 
We're to live to magnify Christ, to glorify Him, so that we can be salt and light in a dark world. God, empower us to live that way. Convict us to live that way. Lord, forgive us when we disappoint you. And when we live more like the way we were when we were the old man, forgive us. Lord, give us victory over besetting sin in our life. Things that have clung tightly to us through the years. Give us victory over those things. Lord, I pray that when people look at us, they would see exhibit A of your saving grace. God, I pray for that one this morning who knows they need to come to Christ. They've never been made new. But they want to be. That's your Holy Spirit talking to them and drawing them. May they listen to your voice and come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.